Welcome to Witch City Witches, a podcast from Salem, Massachusetts, exploring the practice of witchcraft. We explore witchcraft through many different lenses, including personal practices, tarot, astrology, ritual, and so much more. I'm Anna. And I'm Becca. And this is episode six. And so today we're going to talk a bit more about love magic, because there was more to be said after the last episode. And then we're going to talk about solitary witchcraft practice and answer some questions. But before we get into that, we figured it might be time to tell you folks about the drumming that you hear (laughs) in the introduction. Uh, That's actually me drumming and what those beats are. They're part of my personal practice um, and they are a a greeting to the four directions. And that's why you're hearing a four by four beat before starting trance work drumming. So that's what we're doing. We're opening every episode by greeting the the directions and the elements. Are you still doing um, workshops in town? Uh, Not right now because my venue... Got a little mixed up in terms of scheduling, but I'm working on it. Okay. So <laughs> I've, I've been to several of the workshops, and they are very useful, and I met my uh, lobster uh, animal in them, and um, yeah, I think that uh, we'll, we'll definitely be telling people about them when they restart, because they're really great to go to. Um, well, thank you so much. Oh, and I guess we should tell people that we have t-shirts. Yes. We have merch. We have t-shirts and mugs. Yes. So um, if you've noticed our logo, it's a a drawing that I did of the witch house here in Salem. And if you like it, you can now get it on t-shirts that Becca set up. Yes. Uh, Yeah. So they are, um, if you just go to our website, there is a link in the upper menu that says swag. And uh, that will bring you to our Teespring site. And there are, yeah, t-shirts and mugs. And we will add some more stuff as we go along um, and yeah hope to hope to see people in those around town <laughs> yay I know I need to order one for myself first um, speaking of yeah. which did you ever convince them that I didn't steal that drawing of the witch house I have not heard back um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah the uh, for people listening the um, the witch house is a quite famous house and Anna, with her background in architecture, did this very architectural line drawing, which is our logo of the Witch House. And for the Teespring t-shirts, when I put them together with uh, the, the, the text that says Witch City Witches next to it, everything went through, it was fine. As soon as I tried to do an item that did not have any text, that just had the Witch House with the little crescent moon above it, um, a computer bot flagged it as being stolen artwork. So I am I am fighting that battle. Yes. <laughs> so I that was yeah, it's been a week I haven't heard anything new. Cool. Well, <laughs> it's definitely my drawing. If you guys are listening, Teespring. <laughs> anyway, so we are going to talk a bit about love magic and get into some of the topics we didn't get to cover and then we're going to answer some questions that we received. And one of a couple of the things that we wanted to discuss today as we continue the conversation about love magic is uh, the idea of how to handle your divine masculine and feminine as part mm-hmm. of your self-love magic. And we also want to talk about love magic as it pertains to ending love. And so, uh, re- you know, protection spells for people in abusive relationships, um, cord cutting and sort of dissolving of bonds when you need to let go of a relationship that's no longer serving you. Right. Um, so you brought some books along. 
I did. I, I had actually hoped to find this book for last time, but I brought Love Magic by Lori Cabot with Tom, I don't know if it's Colin or Cowan. Um, and it's a book entirely on love magic. The, the byline is the way to love through ritual spells and the magical life. And one of the things that Lori discusses is the idea of your inner partner and having to develop a relationship with your inner partner as part of becoming more whole, right? So that you can look for love outside of yourself from a more stable perspective. And she speaks of the inner partner as being, uh, you know, your internal partner and they're of the opposite gender that you are. Mm -hmm. And so folks who identify as female have, you know, male inner partners. Folks who identify as male have female inner partners. I will, you know, at this point, uh, say that as a, as a cisgender person, I don't have experience as far as being gender fluid or agender and doing that kind of work from that perspective. So if any of our listeners do and they have anything to add, please send us an email because I'd love to know. Um, so what I am speaking from a little bit of a binary perspective here. Um, but so we've talked before about the idea that everybody has both divine masculine and, and divine feminine. And this is something that exists kind of as a reality of nature. It's not about gender construct. And if you're looking to have a relationship outside of yourself, right, you need to be healed internally as best you can be. Right. And when you talk about having this... Um this, you know, kind of opposite gender internal partner that also doesn't relate to sexuality. Absolutely, right. Yes, so, yeah, so it doesn't, does not have to do with sexuality. So it's not that if you um, identify as queer that your inner partner is going to be of your same gender because it's about understanding that you, as a creature of nature, embody, you know, all the polarities that come with being a part of nature. Mm-hmm. And I actually think that for... Um, you know, trans witchcraft practitioners, this can be really important because it's an opportunity for you to heal a wound, you know, with a sex that you were assigned at birth that, you know, you didn't identify with. And now you've had kind of a difficult relationship with your whole life. Being able to go back and heal that is really empowering. So I'm going to read a little bit from Lori's book here, Love Magic. And this chapter is called The Power Lover Within. And she says here, magic is about shifting consciousness and the anima and the animus represent two different types of consciousness. To be powerful magic workers, we must energize and bring the two out. The same is true for becoming great lovers. We must activate that inner opposite to acquire the self-esteem of a totally integrated human being. If you are heterosexual, knowing about your own inner opposite will help in understanding the otherness of your partner. If you are homosexual, knowing the demands and the gifts of your inner opposite will help you appreciate a same-sex lover whose inner opposite is, of course, the same gender as your own opposite. The patterns of consciousness we call the anima and the animus, however, are not male and female in a strictly biological sense, as when science points out that every human being contains both male and female genes, chromosomes, and hormones. Feminine and masculine are more accurate terms for the anima and animus rather than female and male because these patterns of consciousness are as much culturally determined as they are shaped by biology. Each human being is born neither male or female, but each becomes masculine or feminine, qualities greatly conditioned by culture. So those are some of Lori's thoughts on that. Yeah, I think it's, it's interesting with the, the, the you know, conditioned by culture 
it comes up a lot with um, in tarot where things are the traditional meanings are very gendered and it also comes up a lot in astrology where things have you know this is a masculine placement or this is a feminine placement and a lot of what that comes down to is that things that are turned like traditionally masculine expand outwards and things that are traditionally feminine receive inwards mm -hmm. and from a real base that like comes down to like genitalia right <laughs> like of like you know what does the human like sex act look like and like a lot of things that we have in magic are based on that and i think as we you know as we are breaking out of this very heteronormative society that we're in i think a lot of this really you know we have to think about what this means and like how we use it in our own practice we'll be talking about solitary practice later and you know i think that it's very good to learn the things as they've been passed down but then we really need to you know interrogate or you know discuss you know with ourselves about what they mean for ourselves and how they work for us yeah that's something that you and i had talked a little bit about before we started recording and it was that idea of you know, part of this work means learning and really understanding what those words mean to you. What does it mean to be a woman? What does it mean to be a man? And are you able to come up with a definition that isn't rooted in societal expectations? Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, the more of that that you can clear up for yourself, then you're going to be in a better position when you're out there looking to, you know, for love and doing love magic. And so um, going back to Lori's book here, she does have suggestions on how to meet your inner partner. And she opens by saying, meeting your inner partner is a first step in self-love and a vital foundation for loving another human being. And she goes on to describe what's basically, you know, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but she, she goes on to describe a, a meditation, which is based in visualization, where you're, you know, going into an, an alpha state, you know, entered, um, altered state of consciousness, and you are going to see yourself in a setting that feels comfortable to you, and you're going to invite your inner partner to show up and meet you there so that you can have a conversation. And so the idea is just to create meditative space where you can have a conversation with your inner self, and what's more important really are the kinds of questions that you're asking right? Uh, if this is your first time having a face-to-face -face conversation with your inner partner, a question that might be important is, you know, what's your name? What do you want to be called? And you can start developing a relationship with them um, that discusses, you know, sort of what are some of the barriers that you have in your relationship with, you know, your divine masculine, your divine feminine, and how can you start to better integrate those? Um, so, you know, so it's not like about complicated spell work or anything of the sort, but it's, you know, more meditative practice where you can have those mm -hmm. internal conversations. Right. I will say like, you know, bring up, you know, astrology again, it's what I'm currently studying. It's what I'm spending a lot of time immersed in. Um, I know that a lot of, um, you know, like traditionally Venus is like, you know, the feminine love planet and Mars is the male love planet. Whereas, you know, Venus, we talked a lot about Venus last episode, where, you know, Venus is, you know, beauty and love and Mars is more action and sex oriented, but they work together a lot. Mm -hmm. And I know that just from hearing other people in the community, a lot of people who are, you know, trans, non-binary and will use Mercury as more of a signifier because Mercury is sort of a 
the the god Mercury is, you know, a male god, but he is definitely um, the least masculine of the male gods, I guess I can say. But I know that I know that in astrology that it has, um, you know, in very recently, like in the past, like five years, maybe uh, become a thing mm-hmm. to look at to look at uh, Mercury for that sort of thing and not just communication, which is the traditional realm of Mercury in astrology. That's excellent advice. And so we talked, you know, we talked here about, you know, meeting your partner. Could you also do this same sort of meditative work to meet, if you're a woman, to meet your female self in the spiritual world? To Yeah, absolutely. So the, to, to really acknowledge that we have both sides or maybe there are other sides that you can open it up in meditation and see who shows up. Absolutely. Yeah. But it's <clears throat> one of the, that yeah. it's just that idea of shadow work in general right Mm -hmm. of having to connect with our shadow selves to be comfortably integrated and you know your your inner partner could be part of your your shadow self at this point if it's something Mm -hmm. that's sort of been so neglected so you should absolutely you know whatever parts of yourself you can connect with Mm -hmm. that's definitely strongly recommended i mean you know we've i've done work uh for connecting with your inner child and going back and healing childhood wounds but also i've done meditations going uh, into seeing my crone self and kind of knowing, you know, what I need to know bef- on my way there. Like, what are some of the things that I should right. prepare for or try and resolve now before I get there? So, yeah, I've definitely done meditative work where I've met previous versions of myself that needed to be in- needed to be uh, thanked or comforted, <laughs> or <laughs> or and then you know reintegrated from various you know, times in, in my past. Right. Absolutely. All right. So those are some thoughts on some more work that you can do as far as the, the self-love aspect. But now we're going to talk about spells to end relationships because that also falls within love magic. And generally, we you know, when folks are talking about love magic, they're really focusing on the how to get love, how to keep love. But, you know, let's be honest, they're often is an end to to a relationship mm-hmm. and witchcraft can be something that can aid you in that process i'm really making use of this book here uh, Lori actually has a bunch of different spells in her love magic book um, she has a spell for a smooth breakup a spell to neutralize the influence of a third party which that one i think is a, a really good one a spell to release anger a formula to express grief um, she also has a spell in here to neutralize harmful influences and let's see, spell to let go of a lover. And the one that I really wanted to take a look at is the spell for protection against an abusive lover. I think it's important for people to know that, you know, you can use magic to protect yourself in many different situations. And this is absolutely one of them. And, you know, hopefully this is the kind of love magic that no one ever has to do. But you can use magic in this way. Um, and so what she has to say about that is that by invoking the help of an appropriate god or goddess, we can sometimes soften a lover's bad temper, inconsiderateness, or she actually wrote here, bitchiness. But there are times when a truly abusive and dangerous partner cannot be handled this way. His or her baneful energy is too strong. And so what she basically lays out is a protection spell. And she has a little incantation here. It says, My love does often bind and does not keep clear of my mind. 
to stop the ba- the pain, to break the chain. I neutralize those near and keep love that's dear. And so I, I think that that's, you know, sort of an important incantation there. And it's, it's interesting to note that she's discussing here, you know, in that incantation, that idea of your own mind being clouded within that situation of abuse. And so that's definitely something to think about when you're doing this kind of magic is, you know, setting yourself up to have clarity of mind and to, you know, ask for that place of more stability so that you can find safety. Right. Yeah. I think, you know, as much as we talked last week, you know, last episode about finding love and, you know, self-love and opening ourselves to what we're looking for in a relationship, you know, realizing that you're in the wrong relationship um, and ending it as smoothly as possible is definitely um, is definitely something that I think we've all had to deal with in our lives. Mm-hmm. And and there's also I don't think we're gonna you know move on from this topic, but I think there's also the you know the kind of third side of that of you know which goes back to self love of you know healing a broken heart when someone else has decided that the relationship is wrong and maybe you don't agree. <laughs> um, so. Yes. Um, but I think that 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 a lot goes back to self-love and you know we talked last time about you know you attempted to keep a relationship going when you were much younger and it didn't you know it was the wrong choice right and it's usually the wrong choice to try to keep things going when the other person is not interested right so yeah that's a lot of just like you know self-acceptance and self-love and really allowing doors to be closed so that the next thing can stop this can can start up again yeah and you know what that's another place where using the kind of meditation of visualization can be important where you're going to meet with yourself is you can go into you know sacred space and uh, go in and meet yourself and you can hold space for yourself you know Mm -hmm. you need someone to hold you you can hold yourself you can be the one to do that for yourself and that's something that comes up again in inner child healing work is going back and holding your child self and giving them the comfort that they needed. But you can do that with, you know, who you are right now mm-hmm. if you're going through heartbreak. So that's another way that you can use that, you know, right. format of spell work. So I think we should move on to solitary practice because we've had a lot of questions online about yes. having a solitary practice and keeping a solitary practice one thing that I wanted to bring up, which I was reminded of when you read that last spell from Lori's book, mm-hmm. is something that a friend of mine asked me a couple of weeks ago when you know, she had questions for me about her own solitary practice, and that is, is rhyming necessary? Because <laughs> <laughs> um, she, it, pers- it, for her and for I think for a lot of people, it feels just like one level too goofy and it takes them out of the practice for other people it makes it feel more magical and like they're really doing something so i think that that is you know the easier answer is no rhyming is not necessary but you know it's really try rhyming because there's a reason that people have like have this history of rhyming spell work and if it's if it if it breaks you out of your if if you can't get into that alpha state if it breaks you out of that because either remembering the rhyme is too difficult or it just the words chosen to make it rhyme or just like really who would say that like if it's breaking you out of the practice like figure out a different way to say it right yeah, so I mean, everything in ritual, and this is not just about witchcraft, it's about ritual practice in general, is designed 
to help trigger an altered state of consciousness. And that's why you see a lot of commonalities right across cultures. Um, people tend to do ritual in darker spaces, candlelight, you know, fire flickering actually starts to trigger a slowing down of brain waves, repetitive motion, repetitive sound, repetition in general is something that triggers an altered state of consciousness, like my drumming, like mm -hmm. chanting, like rhyming. And so what you're basically doing is using triggers that the, the human body is sort of pre-programmed to respond to. So if something doesn't work for you, you don't have to do it. <laughs> but it's just understanding what will help you get into that right into that space. Right. So that's why I say, like, you know, try it. Don't just read something and say, oh, it's a rhyme. That's stupid. I'm not going to do it. Try the rhyme. It's written in that way for a reason. Someone, you know, put a lot of effort into it. Maybe, like, you know, they found that this is, you know, really works for them. Try the rhyme. If it's really keeping you out of it, then you can just say what you're looking for in a spell work as mm -hmm. like it's what it's what resonates with your own brain mm -hmm. that you can build yourself into that state that you can communicate with the universe so that's just it was just reminded me of it when you read that and I was like you know I did have a friend ask me some questions about this just the other day yeah so some of the questions that we got just so that um, folks know where we're coming from so these came through on Instagram it's how to hold yourself accountable to daily slash regular routines and rituals and then, of course, how to make the time to practice when life gets busy from someone else and how to respond to people who insist that you need to defend your education or knowledge base. Um, honestly, I'm like to that last question, like I don't care who insists that I need to prove anything. So, you know, my sort of got knee jerk reaction there is to just say don't like stop responding because you don't know anybody an explanation but I also know that this person sent us a longer message and said that it was more about you know feeling not valid right because mm -hmm. of not having a lineage and right. sort of getting around that so I think I, I spoke to this a lot in the first episode and that I am not part of any initiated traditions um, I have been briefly involved with several groups over you know the last 30 years that I've been doing this but um I've never things that I was interested in sometimes fell apart before I could get to that state um mm -hmm. because everyone's lives are in flux and things that were more stable I just I wasn't interested enough in to go through the initiation process so you know my practice is very much my practice mm -hmm. and uh, yeah I definitely as I said in the first episode there is that imposter syndrome of like well other people have done like the, you know this training and they have like a they are initiated to the third degree and both like well I mean that's great for that particular thing but that's not my practice mm -hmm. so they can't really be compared but I think you know one of the things that we brought up before we started recording is a lot of time when any sort of gatekeeping and questioning you on well where what what have you studied what is your tradition what is this it's it's you know, it's a gatekeeping it's it's trying to so coming from a place of insecurity and the person who's asking you. Right. So actually, um, Grace, who we're going to be having as a guest very soon, mm -hmm. recently posted something about how if you start thinking that you are better than any other witchcraft practitioner, that your practice is better, that you're more correct, then you're already failing. Mm -hmm. Because that's not the the point of witchcraft right it's not to right. feel like you're better than other people like you need to understand that everyone has their own path and so honestly if someone is really uh, 
disrespecting you because you can't you don't have the lineage that they want you to have then that's not that's not your failing that's their failing you know because they're they've convinced themselves that somehow they are superior because of their background i think that results speak more than lineage Mm -hmm. and you know so i think that the challenge is for you know whoever is feeling questioned it's not about how to respond to them it's about how can you feel more secure in what you're doing so that you don't feel a need to respond? Right. And, you know, I do think, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of different things that you can learn. I am, like I said, I'm, you know, I'm in my mid forties now. I have been doing this since I was a teenager. It's, you know, it's like 30 years of finding my path. I'm still taking classes. Mm-hmm. There's like, you know, people will have a beginner's class in something in around town that are like, you know, I, I don't really know anything about that. Like, yeah, I'll show up for your beginner's class. I'll, I want to learn that thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't mean that I'm going to join your tradition or look for initiation or like, you know, it doesn't mean that, but you know, I'm, I'm constantly looking for new things to, uh, to learn and to see if they work in my practice. Mm-hmm. So I think that, you know, that, that there's definitely, you can't feel like, well, I, I am the number one witch now. I know all the things because then that's, you know, yeah, the moment you that you start thinking there, then you've gone, <laughs> you, you something's gone really wrong. But yeah. that actually brings me to one of the other, um, <clears throat> the, uh, one of the other questions that we got, which is how do you explain the effectiveness of, of a practice or ritual to someone who is looking for proof? Right. So we talked about this briefly before, and I think, I just want to say, some people won't accept proof. Like, it really depends on why they're asking for proof. Mm -hmm. If they're looking for their own practice and they want to figure out what works best for them, then, you know, just be honest about how you practice and what you've seen as proof and how, you know, whatever you define as proof. But I think the, you know, the example that I, I brought up was, you know, there are flat earthers out there who think that the pictures of the round planet Earth from the space station are caused by the astronauts using a fisheye lens. And they like, the Earth is like, no proof is acceptable. So if, pe- if people are coming from that sort of, you know, witchcraft is ridiculous, witchcraft doesn't work, I'm not going to believe you until you show me some sort of proof, don't try. Just don't try. They're not going to believe you. They don't want to believe you. They're just trying to give you a headache. Right. Total tangent here, but speaking of flat earthers, um, I saw an ad for Wife Swap yesterday, which I did not realize was still ongoing. The the TV show? Yes. Okay. And they're actually putting a flat earther on this season who's getting Wife Swapped. And honestly, I sort of really want to watch them train wreck. I I don't know if I've ever seen an episode of that show. Like I'm aware of it. I, I really liked trashy TV when I had insomnia in college. What can I say? <laughs> I'm aware of a lot more of those shows because I used to watch um, The Soup on E. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you know they would like recap the stupidest moments. Oh. So it really felt like I knew enough about all of those things like I even like knew the characters names of some of those shows just because every week they'd be just like and this is the stupid thing this person was doing this week um but uh I never took the time to actually watch a full episode my trashy tv is like vampire detectives oh I like that too anyway (laughs) so how do you provide proof to people who want proof 
So I always talk about both like shamanism and witchcraft, which are sort of my main practices in similar terms in, I, in that I believe that they are systems of direct revelation. And what does that mean? In a practice of direct revelation, that means that you have to do the thing and you have to experience the result. Um, you know, to be a practicing witch, to you know, be a shamanic practitioner, you have to do the rituals and you have to experience the results. You, you don't go and wait for someone else to do it for you. And this is different from other religious systems where you go and you sit and you watch someone else perform and you just, you know, you have to have faith. You know, when people come to, to me uh, for shamanic journeying, you know, I say, you know, all right, well, I'll take you on your shamanic journey and I want you to experience it. So I take my, my students through that process. You know, I, t I teach people how to go into an alpha state. I have them do distance healings and see people who aren't there and be able to describe them. So I never say to someone, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to believe me because I said so. And I'm also not going to say, oh, I'm going to do a thing here that'll prove it to you. No, I'm going to say, well, here, try it. Mm -hmm. See if it works for you. And that brings us also to that idea of witchcraft as a non-dogmatic religion, you know, for those who even want to consider it a religion, there is no point where anybody, or at least anybody who you should be respecting or paying attention to, says that witchcraft is the only path or the only religion. I think that's one thing that I like about, I mean, one of many things that I like about witchcraft practices is that they are not, they don't have a goal of conversion. Mm -hmm. Nobody out there should be looking to convert anybody to witchcraft. You know, recruitment is not part of the practice. And so there's really there's really no one claiming that witchcraft is the right way for everybody. And so sometimes people are looking for proof because they want to know, is this the right path for me or is it not? And it might not be, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. And I think also, and you know, you mentioned we're going to have Grace on soon and she's going to be talking about being a Christian witch. And I think that part of, you know, I, I, I call myself a polytheist that I have, you know, number, many gods, most of them are in the Greek pantheon. But I think one of the things about that is that, you know, I'm a polytheist. It mean, I don't, and I think I've mentioned this in the past episode, I don't not believe in the gods that I don't worship. I don't disbelieve in the divinity of Jesus or Yahweh or the, like, you know, but they're not part of my practice. They're not part of my path. Right. They're um, people, yeah, they're yeah. deities that you don't talk to. That's, so, yeah. you know, I you don't have to, like, you know, disavow anything else. And if, you know, some people, um, I'm very involved in a Facebook group called Hellenic Pagan, and there's several with, with similar names. I'm involved in the one that doesn't allow you to be a racist uh, which <laughs> many of that the... <laughs> should be all of them. It's not. So, but you know, people will come in and say, Oh, is it okay if I join? You know, I've been really called to Apollo recently, but my other deities have been Norse or Celtic or something like that. It's like, yeah, we're polytheists. Like you can have like lots of different cultures that like, you know, if a God calls to you, then, you know, that's, that's fine. They're, they're not, they're, they're not discriminatory. <laughs> so I think that that is important to, you know, you don't have to pick a path and stay on it and, oh, will like a god be jealous if I step off it? No. No, they won't. <laughs> like, <laughs> so, um... I mean, I guess yeah. like, the caveat to that would be, you know, if you promised a specific god that, you know, you were doing work and that right. you would for six months only work with them, 
then you should probably honor that. Right. Know? Oath-breaking like, is a totally different thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like, yeah. <laughs> like, they're not going to get mad unless you made some agreements. Right. But, you know, not to not to call someone out, but someone recently posted that, you know, they had been working with Hera, and they recently been called to work more with Leto, who is um, the parent, uh, the mother of Apollo and Artemis. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she was worried, you know, is Hera going to get jealous? It's like... Hera's the queen of the gods. It's like, you know, you're in a Greek pantheon. Like, she probably knows the situation and she's fine with it. She's not the shrew of mythology. And I think that that's, you know, that's a whole nother rant I can get into is mythology is not religion. Yes. So, uh, like, absolutely. <laughs> mythology is not religion. Most myths, <laughs> um, most myths are written to be entertaining. And, you know, people will look to, uh, you know, the... Homer's poetry of, you know, the the Iliad and the Odyssey and want to, like, base religion on that. And it's just like, he was a novelist. Mm-hmm. That's, like, basing your religion on the Percy Jackson novels, which you can totally do, but don't claim, like, it's not like, oh, this is what people did at the time. No, he was, like... You know, and that brings <laughs> us back to uh, one of the other things that we had wanted to discuss, which was that idea of the validity of lineage in the first place and mm. what exactly that means, right? Because... Right. You know, we've spent a long, you know, bit of time now ranting about how, you know, some people aren't going to believe you no matter what, and why are they asking for proof in the first place? But then also, what exactly does lineage mean, right? Becca, as you said uh, a few episodes ago, lineage just means that somebody in the past at some point made something up and it's stuck. Right. Even when we look at, you know, Wicca, um, which is sort of the easiest, you know, religion within witchcraft to discuss. You know, Gerald Gardner published his book, and he claimed that those learnings came from, you know, hidden covens in Britain. And, you know, researchers now dispute whether or not that's a thing, you know, or whether mm-hmm. he just made it up. And when people get into those discussions with me, I sort of say, well, does it matter? Like, does it matter if he made it up? And people, you know, and of course the first reaction people have is like, oh, of course it matters. And I'm like, but does it work? Right. If it works then it doesn't really matter where it started because the point is to achieve a certain result. Mm -hmm. And that's another thing that I'm going to circle back to is, you know, why are you doing witchcraft and how that's going to inform your solitary practice. So, you know, just making a mental note to go back to that. (laughs) Um, But, you know, if if your your goal is to do ritual um, and connect with, you know, connect with moon energy at every moon. If you're mm-hmm. doing a ritual and it's working, then great. Like, does it matter if it's something that you invented or if it's something that came to somebody in a vision hundreds of years ago and it got passed right. down? It doesn't really matter. Right. And so rather than focusing on, you know, do I have a lineage or don't I have a lineage is, is your practice working for you in the way that you need? Right. Yeah. I think that, you know, with, you know, the origins of Wicca, that. You know, you can. We don't know the exactly how they came about, and with you know people saying, "Oh, well, they didn't. This whole lineage of these secret covens didn't exist," and it's like, "Well, why did if they didn't exist, why did Gardner make it up?" Maybe he was worried about the same thing that you were all worried about. Like, well, people trust my lineage. Maybe he had a vision that this was supposed, that was, you know, that this was the way to go. Maybe he just did a lot of experimentation and this is what worked best. Mm. And when he wanted to make it public, he felt the need to justify that. And so, you know, and so I I think that we can really, 
um, I guess the word I want to use is deify people who, you know, are the starting religions. Um, and we want to think about like, oh, you know, like, you know, Gardner is just, you know, he did this great thing, but he was just a person just like any of us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he started a huge movement, but he had the same sort of insecurities that anyone would do. Absolutely. And so I think that's, I think that people can be upset when they find out that things are not quite as they were told because like, oh, well, I was lied to. And I mean, I think on a strict sense maybe yeah (laughs) but you know i think that there's a lot of you know i think there's a lot of like good reasons that people kind of bend the truth and tell you know half truths and because the the real truth is maintained and it's like the periphery stuff that you know Mm -hmm. that people you know need to to even look at the real truth Mm -hmm. is sometimes a little bit fudged yeah. <laughs> um, so I think, yeah, but I think, you know, from the beginning of time, every religion was started by someone saying, hey, I have an idea. Mm-hmm. No matter what religion you're talking about, no matter what culture you're talking about, no matter how far back in time that we have written records that we're talking about, every single religion was started by somebody saying, hey, I have an idea. And other people saying, I like that idea. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. So if... You know, if you are having an idea right now that you don't think other people have had exactly the same idea and you tell people and they're like, hey, that sounds cool. I like that. Congratulations. You just started a new religion. Fill out that 503C paperwork. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I would say the, the other side of that coin, you know, because basically we're saying here that lineage is sort of, you know, as valid or invalid as you want it to be and that it's results that matter. And... Um, I'm always a little afraid to put that out there because sometimes what happens is people going, oh, so I can do whatever I want. And mm-hmm. then they start picking bits and pieces that they've learned um, right. from different people in different places and different books. And they kind of just mash it all together into a right. thing. And that can be really dangerous to do because mm-hmm. if you are looking at, you know, a whole ritual that somebody put together, right, you, you know, assuming that this is someone who has experience and knew what they were doing... If they're passing on this ritual to you, they're passing it on in its entirety because it works in its entirety. And so if you start slicing little pieces out, you know, they can lose their effectiveness, they mm-hmm. lose context, and, you know, you're maybe bringing together energies that are not entirely compatible because you pulled from one ritual that works because of, you know, X elements, and then you pull mm-hmm. something from another ritual that works because of Y elements, and maybe X and Y are not in harmony. Right. And so... I, I just think that it's important to have that word of caution yeah. in there. Just be mindful. When you're when you're taking something, understand where it's from, why, and why it works. Right. And, you know, I come from an art background, and I think that the, there's a very uh, common uh, thing to say in the art world of you need to know the rules before you can break them. Mm-hmm. That, you know, people think, oh, oh, you know, Picasso and his, you know, abstract paintings, they hardly look like people. But he actually knew how to paint realistic people. He just moved past that. Uh-huh. So, um, so I think that... Oh, I have a whole art rant. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think, you know, so I think that it's very much that, you know, with, with any of this, that it's learn as much as you can about whatever you can. Because a lot of, a lot of paths are closed to non-initiates. And if you're not willing to do the initiation work, then you're not going to learn that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you have to learn as much as you can that, to things that are not closed. 
No, but yeah. even, you know, even if you do join a tradition, it doesn't mm-hmm. mean that you have to be stuck in it for life. Right. You know? Yeah. It's okay to learn different things. Right. But um, I am going to go back to my art rant, though, okay. because I do think that it, it <laughs> sort of applies. So, years ago, there was this little girl, and I want to say she was, like, seven, and she ended up all over the internet and in the news as, like, a famous artist because she was doing these giant canvas paintings where she was just splattering color and layering them, and it just looked like it was just these you know, super abstract pieces, and um, her dad, I guess, paid several thousands of dollars for her to have an exhibit somewhere, mm-hmm. and then it all sold out, and people are talking about, oh, this girl, and the talent, and this <clears throat> and that, until someone pointed out, it's like, well, but she doesn't have any sort of art background, mm-hmm. and so when you say that she's doing abstract art, what is she abstracting from? Abstraction from what? Mm-hmm. And there is no what. Right. You know, so it's that idea of you have to know the rules before you can break them. And it's the same thing in witchcraft. Like, you know, even if what you're doing is entirely direct revelation based, you have to do the work of making sure that the thing that you're developing works. Like, I can have an idea of like, oh, I'm going to do a spell where I, you know, write this thing on this paper and then I'm going to put this herb on it and I'm going to burn it. But until I've actually tried that, I shouldn't then go ahead and, you know, publish this spell in a book right right so i need to do my due diligence yeah i've i've had uh i've done you know journey work where um i've been taken to meet zeus and he has given me uh basically syllables that seem to me to be nonsense syllables they don't mean anything in english uh from what i can tell they asking people they don't mean anything in ancient greek um (laughs) they're just nonsense syllables but I wrote them down and I chant them and I'm still not entirely sure what they're supposed to be for. Right. But like, I'm, and I'm not like, you know, I'm not telling other people about what these things are because one, I'm not sure if they're supposed to be private yet, but I'm just, I'm not sure what they do. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that was, that was a direct revelation. Um, it was a, a very powerful vi- visualization that I did where I started off that I was trying to have a conversation with Hermes, who's one of my main deities, and he kind of, like, took me to see Zeus, whose eyes were fire, and he, like, with a thumbnail, dragged his thumbnail down the center of my forehead to, like, open my third eye, and then, like, said these three syllables. And so it was very powerful, but I have no idea what it means. Stay tuned, folks. We'll find out. <laughs> so, so yeah. So, like, you know, I will I will chant those syllables when I'm doing spell work. I, when I'm, you know, getting into meditative state. Um, just trying to, like, figure out when they're, when they're to be used and what they're to be used for. Right. But you it, didn't just go yeah. off and write a book on teachings of Zeus. Here yeah. Like, because I, I, I don't know what it means. I, I'm, still, I'm still figuring that out myself. So, a lot of it is, you know, even when you do have some sort of direct communication or something like that that it's usually it's not clear so you need to um you know you need to work with it more before you just start a new thing (laughs) yeah now in our uh, you know staying true to our sad rising ways i'm gonna loop back to something because i had forgotten something i wanted to say previously because you were talking about people feeling silly about rhyming Mm -hmm. and i had a suggestion to offer and then i forgot it until you mentioned your three syllables so many many years ago Oh God, I hadn't even left Brazil yet. This is how long ago this was. Um, Claude Genet actually uh, taught a workshop, and one of the things that we were doing was learning how to create power phrases. And so if rhyming doesn't work for you, one thing that you can do is if you can write down a statement of intent for your spell, and you, you can sort of 
collapse that into like power syllables. And so, you know, like let's say that you write down a, a 10 word sentence, you take the first syllable of every word and you like mush those together and that just becomes a very abstracted chant that has the essence of what you were trying to accomplish and mm. maybe that'll work better for some people rather than rhyming. Yeah. So just wanted to put that out there. It sounds similar to making um, sigils with magic swears that you like draw dots between the the letters and then connect them and then become sigils of the word. Mm-hmm. Um, which is very hard to describe on audio, so I won't get into it. But look up magic square sigil, sigils and... Uh... <laughs> you know, I, um, I recently encountered someone on Instagram who does beautiful sigil work, and I realized I was probably not talking to my teacup because it echoes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so she, did, she was the designer of the Hollow Valley deck of symbols, which I actually carry in my shop, but she does beautiful sigil work with, mm-hmm. with you know, sentences and turning them into absolutely beautiful diagrams, so we should definitely link to her right. in the show notes later. Right. But, um... Yeah. So I think uh, one of the questions that we didn't answer was, how do you hold yourself accountable? Right. The two different people asked different versions of, how do I hold myself accountable? And I think it's just... Well, it's practice, it's scheduling, it's making it a priority. Well, so before, I mean, that's sort of the easy answer, but I think that before you can even talk about, like, well, you need a schedule, my question is, well, why do you want a routine? Like, mm-hmm. what is the goal of it? Like, when you're saying, I want to be more regular about my witchcraft practice, given that we've already established that, you know, the phrase witchcraft practice means a million different mm-hmm. things to a million different people. There is no universal answer because, you know, what is the goal of your practice versus what is the goal of my practice? And that's Mm -hmm. the first question that you need to answer is, what exactly does that mean to you? Are you doing witchcraft because you want to feel more empowered? You know, so is it about personal growth? Are you doing witchcraft because you want to feel more connected to the lunar cycles? Are you doing witchcraft because you want to be more connected to the changing of the seasons? Mm -hmm. And so until you really know what your goal is then you're never going to have a consistent practice because, you know, you can't take steps if you sort of don't have a general direction that you're trying to go in. Right. Yeah, and I, I think that um, if you're just trying to, like, make it more a part of your daily life and not having to say, like, you know, this is my this is my life and this is my witchcraft practice and they only intersect at these particular points, I mean, there are basic things that you can do, you know, you can, before you eat, you can say a prayer over your food. That's sort of like, you know, universal cultural thing to say a prayer over your food. Mm-hmm. To, or, and if you're not like, you know, if you're a non-theistic witch and you don't have deities, you know, just to be mindful of your food, of like, what are the ingredients that you're taking into your body to mm-hmm. connect yourself with the universe mm-hmm. of, you know, what exactly am I eating? What was the process that, that took, that brought these things to my plate you know you can you can include you can include things like that if you want to have this more magical life you can include things like that just in your everyday thing yeah but it's it really depends on you know what sort of practice you're looking to have right i think that one of the traps is that you know when you're buying books on how to be a witch or what is witchcraft they tend to follow sort of the same formula you know they talk about Um, deities and feminine and masculine divine and then they talk about the Celtic wheel of the year and then they talk about the 
uh, the Esbets, you know, the, the moons. Mm-hmm. And they basically outline, like, well, here's what you do to be a good witch. You know, you, you, you observe the eight Sabbaths, and you observe all the full moons, and if you want to, you know, be really dedicated, then you can observe the new moons as well. And, and it, it just sort of lays out a, you know, this is what a witch should be doing mm-hmm. with their time. But... It, it, it sort of has an assumption of everyone co- is coming into witchcraft looking to completely overhaul mm-hmm. their religious practice and do this. And it doesn't really tell you why you're doing each of those things. And right. so I, I think that that's tough because it's just telling people to do a thing without giving them the the sort of inner motivation, which is the why you're doing it. And right. so you get bored and you stop yeah. doing it. I think for myself, and I'll, I'll be the first to say, I am not very good at keeping myself to a, a personal practice. Mm-hmm. I, uh, my, my schedule slips a lot. And, but I think that for me, when I am able to keep a, a more regular practice of just doing like basic things of keeping in contact with with the world bigger than myself, with, you know, with keeping in contact with the universe, when I do want to do more serious spell work, because, you know, that only comes around, you know, like every couple of months that I actually want to do serious spell work. Mm-hmm. I think that it's, it's easier to get into that state mm-hmm. to do the spell work. It's easier to make those connections. It's easier to, to do the spell work because... You know, it's it's like calling a friend that you haven't talked to for ages, and it's like, oh well, now I have to do all this small talk to like get to, to like, oh well, what have you been doing for the past four months since I've talked to you last? And it's like, if you have a more regular connection, if you you know, if you've been texting each other, and now you're gonna see each other for a weekend, there's not that weird, mm-hmm. you know, awkwardness when you get together. It's I think for me, it's that's the sort of thing that if. If I keep up a real regular, real basic practice, then the having the more in-depth work comes a lot easier and less awkwardly. Yeah, I mean, it also has to do with, you know, you mentioned a little bit of, you know, make it a priority. And the reality is, is that we make time for the things that matter to us. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember reading something once that wasn't even about witchcraft, but it was just about the idea of self-care in general and the importance of self-care. And that if you if you're trying to find the time to do something, rather than like if something comes up like I need to go to the doctor, don't say I don't have time. Like if if that's how you're feeling, instead say this is not a priority for me. Mm-hmm. And then it sort of makes you think, right? Because if you're like, well, I'm not right. feeling well, but going to the doctor is not a priority. Like that's telling you that you're not prioritizing mm-hmm. your your health, right? As opposed to saying, oh, I don't have time. It's easy to say that you don't have time, but if you start thinking of it as a matter of priority, it sort of shifts the way that you do things. Um, you know, I have some things going on in in my life that are kind of complicated. And now for the first time in my life, I have observed a daily ritual every single day for about seven months now. Mm-hmm. And I've never been able to sustain something that long Mm-hmm. But this is something that matters to me that much, right. right? So when it, so if it really matters to you, you'll do it. Yeah. But also, but if we get back to that idea of if you understand why you're doing the thing, you're going to be more likely to do it. Like this for me is something that I'm doing because I know why I'm doing it. I know what my goal is, and it's really important to me. And so if you've decided that you're going to observe every full moon, ask yourself why. Are you observing the full moon because? Uh, this is like a big time of sort of manifestation and you're just trying to work on that 
Is it because you're trying to connect with goddess energy, with mother goddess energy specifically? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you're going to commit to doing a full year of, you know, full moon rituals. And even then, right, if you're thinking, oh, I want to connect to goddess energy, but I'm looking to connect with crone energy, then you shouldn't be doing it on the full moon. You should be doing Mm -hmm. it on the new moon or the dark moon. Right. And so understanding the why, if you're going to to decide that you want to observe the Sabbaths, uh, you know, the, the eight Celtic Sabbaths, then... Why are you doing that? Is it because you want to be more aware of the cycles of nature and the changing seasons? Mm-hmm. And so if you if you can find a motivation other than I want to do this because I read in a book that this is what, you know, air quotes, good witches do, then you're going to be more likely to stick with it. Right. Yeah, I think that there's, there is a, a benefit of... Especially if you're going through someone else's program, whether you are doing an initiatory path or, you know, in my in my time, I've read several books that are like, you know, they're basically initiations through book form rather than having, you know, a physical group. People will publish books and say, these are the rituals and this is what you're going to journey. And this week you're going to do this and next week you're going to do this. You know, there's definitely a lot of value in going through the path that someone else has set for you mm-hmm. and said so, like you know in in this tradition we do this on every full moon because like as we said before there's a reason that they've done this this works for other people right. and sometimes it really feels like you get to a certain point and it's just like why am i still doing this this doesn't this doesn't work for me and i think that you know there's there's two paths you can say you know this really doesn't work for me you know i shouldn't be doing this i need to do something else and you drop out which is a valid choice, mm-hmm. but the other way is this is supposed to be valid. I'm going to push through and see what's on the other side. And you really need to figure out, you know, you need to figure out which one of those works best for you. And some of that is really taking a hard look at who's doing the tre- teaching yeah. and figuring out like, well, where are they? Not physically, but like, where are they in their practice? Mm-hmm. Is that somewhere that I want to go? Is that someone that I want to be like? Mm-hmm. Because sometimes just working with something more and more, even if it's with a book, as you read the book, you're like, oh, that's I'm not sure I agree with that point of view anymore. And you realize like, oh, this isn't really a path that I should be on. This yeah. this isn't something that like fundamentally agrees with me. But sometimes, you know, there's just, there's, things are hard and we can't, you can't yeah, always the, expect magic to be easy, and if it's not easy, then it, I'm not going to do it anymore. Right. There's so. a difference between I'm struggling with this because it's difficult and I'm bored with the repetition as opposed to it's not valid. And I'm going to go full 90s kid here and talk about Karate Kid. Okay. And I, I assume you've seen Karate I Kid. I have seen Karate Kid, yes. Good, because if not, we were going to stop this episode and go watch it like right now. <laughs> but so it's that idea of, you know, he wants to learn karate, right? And he mm-hmm. goes to train with Mr. Miyagi and he spends his entire summer doing chores and then he gets angry where it's like why am i doing this and then he has that mm-hmm. moment of realizing oh you know the brush strokes were teaching my hands to do this and right. you know wax on wax off like yes and you know it's, it's become you know completely mocked at this point you know, as far as memes but there that's it's about the validity of a journey and understanding that as an apprentice you're not necessarily going to understand all the steps until you get there mm-hmm and you also have to understand that if you drop out, you may never have a chance to start up again. Mm-hmm. There are paths that, you know, sometimes, if, yeah, you, you can come back whenever, but there are other things that's like, no, like you decided this wasn't for you. You decided this wasn't for you. And now you, you this path, this doorway is blocked. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you have to, you have to really accept that when you make those decisions. And of course, you know, there's the caveat of, you know, we are, we are encouraging you to 
stick things out and give yourself the time to try it and understand why it's happening. That doesn't mean that if you're in a situation where people are being unsafe or abusive that you should stick that out. Absolutely. Obviously, please, you know, use discernment. Discernment is the most important thing. Right. With witchcraft groups, as with anywhere else, the opportunity for abuse is there. Mm-hmm. And the opportunity for people to form groups out of ego to, you know, to be able to control people uh, is definitely there. It's, there's a lot of, if you think something's wrong, really listen to yourself, get advice from other people, get advice from other people outside of the group that you're in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because people who are also in the group may just say, oh no, our, our leader is great. And they're, you know, maybe there really is a problem. So so there's a, there's a yeah, lot of- If they're of... calling it a leader, then maybe you should watch yeah. out for them in the first place. <laughs> um, our cult leader is really sweet. Uh... But you know what I mean? Like someone mm-hmm. who's like your high priestess or something like that, you know, they are leading the group. Right. I'm, I'm using, you know, leader in a more I know. generic I'm just teasing. manner. But yeah, so I think that there's, you know, and, and this is kind of straying off from solitary because we're talking about joining groups and how mm-hmm. to know you're in the right group. But yeah, I think that with anything like this, that there's really a lot of introspection that you have to have of, mm-hmm. am I on the right path? Um, and do I want to drop off this path because I'm lazy <laughs> or do I want to drop off this path because it's just wrong for me? Mm-hmm. And I mean, honestly, I, I know lazy has a, like as a negative word, but it's a valid choice. Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't want to do the work and you don't have to do the work, right. then not doing the work is a completely valid choice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, your path is yours and and that's something that I've struggled with, you know, as some as as a teacher is that idea of I cannot drag someone along the path of spiritual growth. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when you're joining a a tradition, generally you have a period of a year and a day that's supposed to be for training, and that's just I don't. That's always how it's been. Mm-hmm. I don't know why a year and a day, and really, it's at least a year and a day. And the reason is is that. You know, I said I don't know why a year, but now I'm going to say I think it's because there's enough material that if someone is studying diligently and kind of doing all the steps and doing all the things, it's going to take at least a year. A full year gives you a chance to celebrate, you know, an entire year of lunations and seasonal changes, but also there should be all this other ritual work that goes into it. And, you know, there's, you can't do that in less than a year. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, you can't celebrate a whole year of rituals in less than a year. Duh. But <laughs> Time. Um, time. <laughs> But in I in my experience, very, very, very few people actually make it through this in just a year because people get distracted and it it's hard to keep them focused. That's been a struggle that I've had as a teacher is like, come on, I want to keep you on schedule. But also realizing that, you know what, my job is to offer information and guidance to those people who want it, but it's not to force anybody down a path. Mm-hmm. If someone doesn't want to keep up with the work, there's a point where I have to say, you know what, like this is their path. I'm not going to try and force, mm-hmm. the, you know, force them to do the exercises and do the things. Like if they don't want to, then that's just on them. Right. And I think one of the things I wanted to say about solitary practice is that even if your path is a solitary one and you haven't found other people who share your path or are interested in your path and you're doing most of your work on your own, there are, you know, we're in Salem. There are still places that, you know, community is definitely possible. 
um, and, you know, to get together and to celebrate ritual together, even if you are on not exactly the same path. And I know we've talked a lot about, you know, doing public ritual and stuff like that, and we mm -hmm. definitely are still looking into that and kind of figuring out the logistics. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there's definitely many years ago, maybe 20 years ago, I, in, in Boston, I was part of a group called the Boston Pagan uh, Community Center. And we were people from all different paths. There were Druids, there were Astru, there was, you know, um, Blue Star, there was a, a lot of different paths. Mm -hmm. And, um, but we would still, you know, we would have public rituals. And we would do things like, I was like, okay, so I would open the ritual by doing a greeting to Hestia, who is the Greek goddess of the hearth, and mm -hmm. to kind of like cleanse the space. And then someone else would, you know, have an invocation to Freya or like, you know, and then we would kind of like the different people would take different roles to join in and, you know, to just sort of like celebrate major events together. There are definitely, there are definitely ways that you can do that with people who are, you know, not of the strictly the same path as you, that you can still have community, that you can still have celebrations as a group. Right. Yeah, I do want to talk a little more, though, about actually being completely solitary mm -hmm. in practice, because I feel like we've definitely spent a lot of time talking about, you know, when are groups valid, how are they valid, and how to right. still have a bit of a group experience without having a traditional lineage. But, you know, there are those of us who have to practice completely alone. And... I very much prefer group dynamic, to be honest, but I've had lots of periods in my life of completely solitary practice. And you mentioned that someone had asked a question about how do you practice when you're you know, in a college campus or in another setting where you can't be completely open about what you're doing and you have limitations about all that. And part of this goes back to a conversation that we had about tools and do you need them? And if so, why? And understanding that you know witchcraft practice doesn't have to look like oh you know you live in a dorm room but now you have to have a giant altar covered in animal bones and candles and dripping candle wax and you're going to set off all the dorm fire alarms mm -hmm. is your practice has to work for your life if you happen to be one of those people that truly you cannot have more than five minutes of time for this then okay fine you have five minutes what can you do to make them count are you the kind of person who needs to actually put a calendar event like on your phone to remind you that from 2 to 3 p.m. on whatever day you're going to do X thing like some people mm -hmm. really need to do that like you need to understand that whatever mechanisms you're using to keep yourself accountable to the other things that you're doing in your life you need to use those to keep yourself accountable to your witchcraft practice right and if you're you know in a place like a dorm room where you can't have all the things uh, a thing that's become very common and I think is good is the idea of an altar in a box like mm -hmm. can you find a small box where you can keep all the the things that you need for your altar and what does right. that mean like for most of us it means having a representation of the four elements earth air fire and water and you know a couple of other sacred objects so if you have a little box where you can keep like a crystal a tiny feather now my mind's going blank uh, you know other representations of the things that you need then that allows your practice to become portable and it works within your space right and I think, you know, I think we may have talked about this before we started recording, but the idea, like, the, the dorm, if you can't have candles, you can use battery-operated candles. It will give you a different experience than using a live flame, but, you know, a battery-operated candle is still a flame. It's just encased. Like, you know, that, that burning element in the middle is still 
a type of flame. And, you know, I, I was saying uh, earlier that, that there can be kind of a, a cult of the natural in paganism, that we need to have everything. It needs to be as like natural as possible. It needs to be, you know, this certain sort of wax for the, the actual candles. And, and that's great if you can afford it. Mm-hmm. And if you have access to it and you have a safe space to use it, but it's not necessary. Um, someone was telling me that they, you know, they're Catholic church. And, you know, when I was small and being raised Catholic, if you wanted to light a candle, you'd put money in the box and then you'd actually light a candle. They're saying, I think they're saying that they live in Italy and they said that, you know, the churches in Italy, they don't have actual candles anymore. These like, you know, medieval buildings you throw coins in the box and a little electric bulb goes off on one of the candles so you know like churches that uh religions that have more confidence in themselves don't aren't so stuck up on like oh everything has to be natural and perfect it's definitely you know if you can get all those natural ingredients it's amazing and it'll really it gives you a different experience but if you're in a dorm room and you're not allowed to light candles getting a a battery operated candle and if that will help you with your practice, that that's fine. You shouldn't feel bad about that. And you know, when we do practice, we do things in your store. We don't light incense. We use sage spray. Mm-hmm. You know, because you know you have a yarn store, and we probably don't want everything smelling like incense. Right. <laughs> um, so there there are reasons that you know, you can there are there are alternate methods. Right. Yeah. And and that idea of everything needs to be natural. Everything needs to be done the old way. You know, there's always danger in saying, oh, we're doing it because it's always been done like that. But also we need to realize that, you know, the magical practitioners of of old, you know, they weren't handwriting everything and using candlelight because they were trying to set a mood. It's because that's literally the technology that they had available. Right. Uh, and that's a conversation that I've seen come up in you know, multiple witchcraft classes. It's that idea of it's okay to use tools to make your life easier. I, I would just say that, a point of responsibility to all of us here is, yes, it's okay to use use technology, but try and do it in a way where you're being aware of your environmental impact. Right. I mean, with the same with all with natural materials as well. Mm-hmm. If you're using white sage, you need to look to where that's being sourced right. because a lot of it's you know it's going endangered, and you know the same with like Palo Santo. There's there's a lot of real issues with where natural ingredients are being sourced as well. Right. But maybe you don't want to have your Yuletide ritual involve you covering your house in string lights and racking up a $10,000 a month electrical bill right. and burning a ton of fossil fuels. Right. You know? <laughs> so so there's that awareness that needs to happen, um, you know, always because part of our jobs as witches is to help take care of this planet. But I don't think that there's any need to avoid technology just to feel like you're doing things like people used to. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, doing things the way people used to does connect you to a certain type of energy. So there is validity there, but the, it goes back to that idea of try it and see what works for you. But the most important thing is that it needs to work for you. It doesn't need to work for anyone else. Right. Okay, so we've just realized that we've been talking for a whole good long while. And so we're going to wrap up for today. And so thank you everyone for listening. And if you have questions, please email us at askawitch at witchcitywitches.com. We hope that this has been helpful, but we realize that there is so much to be said about solitary practice. So if you feel like there's anything that went unanswered or if this has created new questions for you, please let us know. I'm now remembering that we didn't get to the question about disrupting nature. 
but we'll save that. We'll save that for the for for a next episode. Maybe not the next episode, but a future episode where we talk more about the practice of nature. Right. So it was great talking to everybody today. Make sure you go to our website, witchcitywitches.com, and buy a t-shirt to help us offset the podcast hosting bill. Because uh, this is not free. Uh, it's free for you. It's not free for us. So uh... Yeah, and of course, if anyone's interested in a tarot reading, we are both available. But thanks so much for tuning in. Um, follow us on Instagram at Witch City Witches, and find us on Facebook if you want to chat with us. Thanks, everybody.